On January 24, 1848, James Wilson Marshall, a carpenter originally from New Jersey, found flakes of gold in the American River at the base of the Sierra Nevada Mountains near Coloma, California, sparking what we know now as the Great American Gold Rush. Meanwhile, an American genocide played out in the background. Attempts to hide and change what happened in the early days of America have been made into actual historical truths. Today we're going to take a look at the other side of the gold coin, the native side if you will, and it just may change the way you see the gold rush from here on out. I'm your host Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. Days after Marshall's discovery at Sutter's Mill, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was signed, ending the Mexican-American War and leaving California in the hands of the United States. At the time, the population of the territory consisted of 6,500 Californios, which are people from Spanish or Mexican descent, 700 foreigners, primarily Americans who came from the East, and 150,000 Native Americans, barely half the number that had been there when the Spanish settlers arrived in 1769. In fact, Sutter had enslaved hundreds of Native Americans and used them as a free source of labor and makeshift militia to defend his territory and expand his empire. The California Gold Rush was arguably one of the most significant events to shape American history during the first half of the 19th century. And though it was not the start of the genocide, it certainly helped. In fact, Families traveling to California from the East were usually heavily armed, as they believed the propaganda about dangerous and murderous California Indians. According to historian Benjamin Madley, about 100,000 natives in California died during the first two years of the gold rush alone, and by 1873, only 30,000 indigenous people remained. As news spread of the discovery, Thousands of prospective gold miners traveled by sea or land to San Francisco and the surrounding area. A total of $2 billion worth of precious metal was extracted from the area during the gold rush, which peaked in 1852. Peter Hardiman Burnett, the first elected governor of California, he served from 1849 to 1851, and one of the founders of Sacramento, was a former slaveholder from Tennessee with a burning passion to create a whites-only American West. In Oregon, he was elected to legislature, and while there, he passed a bill that banned blacks from the state. Slaveholders could keep their slaves for three more years, but after that, they all had to leave the state or face lashings. It was even nicknamed the Peter Burnett Lash Law, and unfortunately, he brought the same hateful rhetoric to California and aimed it at local natives. In his second state of address, he said, quote, a war of extermination will continue to be waged between the races until the Indian race becomes extinct. While we cannot anticipate this result, but with painful regret, the inevitable destiny of the race is beyond the power or wisdom of man to avert, end quote. State money was set aside to arm local militias against natives who were tasked with raiding tribal outposts and scalping and killing any native people that they may find. Local governments put bounties on native scalps 
and paid settlers for stealing horses of the native people that they murdered. United States troops occupied California in 1846 during the Mexican War. They immediately issued orders restricting Indian movement, denying Indians the right to vote, and banning them from testifying in court against any white person. Then, in 1851-52, Native Californians signed treaties that promised to provide 18 reservations as homelands for indigenous people. The area would have been about 11,700 square miles, which is about one-seventh of California. However, when the treaties came up in the executive session of the U.S. Senate, the senators found them, quote, problematic. It was unclear if Mexico, from which California was recently acquired, recognized native land titles. If Mexico did not, then Indians in California came under U.S. sovereignty without legal claims to the land. And in the wake of the gold rush, white Californians also strongly objected to the treaties and therefore the Senate rejected them and imposed an injunction of secrecy upon them, essentially sealing the truth off from the public. <laughs> Sound familiar? The record copies of the treaties were returned to the Department of the Interior. Only the copies printed for use by senators fell under the secrecy action. Then there were the California missions that began in the late 18th century as an effort to convert Native Americans to Catholicism and expand European territory. Spain was responsible for the missions. There were 21 missions in all lasting from 1769 until about 1833. The mission system brought new cultural and religious ideas to California, forcing out all others. In short, the systematic oppression of Native Americans amounted to no more than slavery. The Native Indians who occupied the region were mostly resistant to the mission. And in 1775, hundreds of local Tipai and Ipai Indians attacked and burned the San Diego mission, killing three men. The missionaries later rebuilt the mission as an army fort. And in addition, they started taking some extreme measures for native recruitment. Here's a little more insight from Valentin Lopez, chairman of the Ama Mutsun tribe. California Indian history actually begins with Pope Alexander issuing the papal bull in 1453 that said all indigenous people, all indigenous people around the world are heathens, pagans, and savages, that indigenous people have no soul, that indigenous people are the enemies of Christ, that indigenous people were to be put into perpetual slavery, that indigenous people, their property and their possessions were to be taken from them. That's what started it all. There was a number of other papal bulls, I believe there was four in total, over the next 50 years, issued by other uh, subsequent popes as well. That's where the mission period started from. When, they came in, when the missions come in, a lot of people think that Junipero Serra was here to evangelize, to proselytize, to turn those Indians. Nothing could be further than the truth from the truth. The way they would capture the Indians, a lot of people talked about you know, how the Indians came to the missions voluntarily. We have in our oral history, and it's documented as well, of, of the, the, the soldiers would go out and do an early morning raid. They would identify the village site that they were going to, uh, where they would have the raid. 
And then the soldiers on horsebacks would attack that village site and they would target the women. They would capture the women and then they would tie them together thumb to thumb to form a human chain. Once all the women were captured, they'd start marching them back to the mission. And when they marched back to the mission, they knew the children would naturally follow their mothers. And they knew that it was just a matter of a short period of time before the husbands and the men would come in to be with their families. That's how many of the uh, many, many Indians came to, were, were taken to the missions in the, at the beginning of the mission period. Once they got to the mission, they couldn't speak their language. They couldn't wear their clothing. They couldn't sing their songs. The men from the women from the children were separated. That was to break the culture. The children, they, they, they did not want the parents passing that knowledge onto the children until the parents were converted or the children were converted to Catholicism. There was whippings, brutality. I said they separated the women. The soldiers did not bring a bunch of uh, their, their wives or families, and there wasn't a lot of other women here for them. And so they would go into that woman's uh, barracks and just rape the women continuously. There was slavery. There was absolute slavery. The Indians were not allowed to leave. They were totally controlled by the church. That went on to the, to the Mexican period. There was no labor force here. They were giving these huge land grants to, to the Mexicans who were uh, well connected. And what they would do is they wanted to get these huge ranches with cattle, pigs, horses, um, uh, um, sheep. And they were to totally ruining the environment of the indigenous peoples, destroying the environment. There was no labor force here. So once again, the Indians were enslaved. There's a story in San Juan Batista in 1839. One of the Indians tried to run away from one of those ranchos. They ran out um, and lassoed him by the neck and dragged him all the way back and left his body there to put tear, ter to terrorize and put fear into the Indians. That if you run away, this is what's going to happen to you. That was slavery. The California missions, which stretched from San Diego to Sonoma, had a significant impact on the native Californians. The mission era attempted to eradicate their culture, religion, architecture, art, language, and economy. Europeans forced the natives to change their civilization to match the modern world, resulting in the loss of local traditions, cultures, and customs. The Spanish mission system forced Native Americans into slavery and prostitution, with many critics comparing the missions to concentration camps. Additionally, Spanish missionaries brought diseases with them, that killed untold thousands of natives. Prior to the California missions, there were about 300,000 native Californians. And by 1834, scholars believe there were only about 20,000 remaining. It wasn't until the 1970s that scholars began to use the term genocide loosely to describe the murderous extermination campaigns and state policies directed at California's Indian peoples from 1846 to 1873. According to the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, genocide means any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethical, racial, or religious group as such. Number one, killing members of the group. Number two, causing seriously bodily harm or mental harm to members of the group. Number three, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. 
Number four, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. Number five, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. But unfortunately, it was not only the people and their culture impacted, but also the environment. New mining methods and the population boom in the wake of the California gold rush permanently altered the landscape of California, destroying native tribes' homelands. The technique of hydraulic mining, developed in 1853, brought enormous profits but destroyed much of the region's landscape. Dams designed to supply water to mine sites in summer altered the course of rivers away from farmland, while sediment from mines clogged others. The logging industry was born from the need to construct extensive canals and feed boilers at mines, further consuming natural resources. Not to mention the countless historical and sacred sites that were destroyed and built over to establish these cities. But the resilience of the native people has kept their culture alive. And today, many groups are now working to piece together their rich but vandalized history. It is important to tell these stories the right way. We are taught about many of these colonizers in school, but we were told that they were explorers, frontiers, heroes in their actions. But when examined with scrutiny, we can see that they were actually conquerors, colonizers, and sometimes cowards. Hiding our past only hurts our future. We cannot begin to heal and move on from these horribly traumatic events until we unpack and speak of them honestly. It's time we start hearing real stories. The United States government needs to own and recognize our troubled past, and that past must be taught to future generations of Americans in order to properly heal. And that is what happened to the native Californians. All right, guys, there you have it. Another true-to-life history lesson to the most honest and most detailed of our ability here at Strange and Unexplained. That is what happened to the native Californians, as I like to call them. Um, I guess a better title for this episode would be the California Indian Genocide, which is probably what I'll call it. That's pretty unmistakable, um, and that's what it is. Not that any other state... And our country here is is innocent when it comes to the uh, genocide of Native Americans. But I feel like um, the gold rush in California kind of outshined the the wrongdoings towards the Native American people there. And it's uh, it's something that is that is misconceived. But nonetheless, I hope you um, at least enjoyed learning about this, some true history lessons. I know if uh, if you grew up in the U.S., you learned plenty about the gold rush but not so much about the uh, genocide of the California Indians. And we're not done learning you just yet. All right, we still got, you guessed it, the Lorne synopsis. So let's get this music rolling. Let's get him in here. Let's find out what Lorne thinks in this week's Lorne synopsis. It's time for Lorne. It's time for Lorne synopsis. Breaking down the case like, breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lorne. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like, breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. 
It's time for one synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here. Ready to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. The California Indian Catastrophe, which went on from 1846 to 1873 and resulted in the deaths of perhaps hundreds of thousands of Native Americans in California alone. And this is kind of the final the final push across what we now know as the United States, North America, um, the eradication and extermination of millions of Native people on these lands. And I, I don't think it's talked about all that much it going on in California. You hear, some, you hear so much about, you know, the push across and the Western expansion, the gold rush, all of that. Um, but yeah, there was a significant push by congressmen, pol- politicians, um, founding fathers to eradicate. And a lot of uh, anti-Native American or anti-Indian rhetoric was going on and a lot of money was spent to kill off women, children, uh, enslave uh, Native Americans. It, it was disgusting. Um, it's a hard thing to look at. It's a really bad part of our history, not only as uh, Americans, but you know, just as human beings in general. The fact that any human could treat another one like that, regardless of race, color, whatever, it's, it's still mind-boggling. Um, it's hard to believe that we came from these people that did this to others, but <clears throat> we still see signs of it today. There's still people around like this that think these ways, but uh, I wish the U.S. government would do a lot more for Native Americans that are around today um, and would have done more over the past hundred years to help them um, after what happened. You know, it's just, it's it's got to be hard knowing what happened to your ancestors. I can't even imagine. Um, So that's my thoughts. I hope you guys enjoyed it and uh, we'll see you next week. All right, Lauren, thank you for that synopsis as always. Guys, um, we appreciate you listening first and foremost. And if you like what we do here at True Crime Guys Productions, please consider checking out patreon.com slash Guys, where you get access to everything that we create here at True Crime Guys Productions. And you also get the added benefit of having the knowledge to know you keep this podcast rolling, right? What else would you listen to on your Monday mornings? I mean, come on, seriously. But no, but again, that's patreon.com slash true crime guys. And guys, there's a ton of stuff on there from strange shorts that I do with Andy every single Monday. Uh, we release every fourth episode here on the free platform. Um, just the banter, me and Lauren, we get on the mic every, well, now we record on Mondays, but the show is released on Fridays uh, to start your weekend off. Uh, you get that, you get access to that, you get access to every true crime guys, Patreon exclusive. You get access to Lorne's uh, video show, the five-minute murder show, where he puts up pictures and video and audio of different 911 calls and all these different things. Um, there's just there's tons that we have to offer on Patreon, guys. And like we say, for just five bucks a month, that's I mean, it's cheaper than a gallon of gas right now if you're on the West Coast, right? Cheaper than your coffee, regardless of where you are. So that would go a really long way to help the show. And you you can also make yearly pledges. If you're like, oh, no, I don't like that subscription stuff. I don't want more things being drafted out of my bank account every month. You can just go pay for a year's membership up front on Patreon, and you actually get a 10% discount as well. 
So, uh, patreon.com. But guys, thank you so much for supporting the show. Just listening, just downloads, just leaving a review. If you're on Spotify, hit that ratings button. We appreciate that very much. That can help us get featured um, on Spotify. And, you know, more people will find us, hopefully. Uh, let's see. Uh, speaking of Spotify, um, here at True Crime Guys Productions, we actually have two uh, what we call killer mixtapes, which is two albums composed of music that we made, um, all original music and songs made for different cases throughout the catalog of True Crime Guys. So if you guys are interested in that, you like a music on the show or whatever, please consider uh, checking that out. Again, that's on Spotify if you search True Crime Guys as a musical artist, or you can search Killer Mixtape. We have Volume 1 and 2 out on Spotify for your streaming pleasure. And last but not least, guys, please check out our YouTube. YouTube, uh, to go to True Crime Guys official channel. If you search True Crime Guys on there, there may be a channel or two that's stolen some of our content. But make sure you look for the orange and teal, and you look for the TV. That's us, okay? <laughs> Just like the logo you're on your player right now uh, with the strange and unexplained, the orange and teal, that's us. Um, but consider... Please go check it out on YouTube. Check us out on YouTube. All of the True Crime Guys free episodes are available in video form now on that YouTube channel. So you can uh, put some faces to names or faces to voices rather. Um, and then every free episode of Strange Shorts will also be put up on the YouTube channel. As well as there's plenty of other private videos that are put up in video form through our Patreon. All right. All right, guys, that's it. Links to everything right below the description of this episode. Go down there, click the True Crime Guys link tree, and that will take you to everything True Crime Guys. All right? I appreciate you guys so much. And I'll see you next week for a new strange and unexplained case. All right? Until then, be strange. All right? Just don't be strangers. See ya. You hush your mouth, boy.